0: Hello, I am Pete Real, a high school English and Spanish teacher, an avid reader, and an aspiring writer. Thank you for listening to the Chills at Will podcast, in which we explore the visceral beauty of literature and its connection to our culture, our history, and ourselves. Welcome to episode 207. It is a pleasure today to be joined by Ursula Villarreal Mora. Ursula is the author of Math for the Self Crippling, published in 2022, selected by Zinzi Clemens as the Gold Line Press Fiction Contest winner, and Like Happiness, which comes out with Celadon Books in 2024. A graduate of Millbury College, she received her MFA from Sarah Lawrence College and was a Vona Voices Fellow. Her stories, essays, and reviews have appeared in numerous magazines, including Tin House, Catapult, Prairie Schooner, Midnight Breakfast, Washington Square, Story, Bennington Review, Wigleaf Top 50, and Gulf Coast. She contributed to Forward 21st Century Flash Fiction, a flash anthology by writers of color, and in 2012, she won the Cut Bank Big Fish Flash Fiction slash Prose Poetry Contest. Her writing has been nominated for Best of the Net Best short fictions, excuse me, best small fictions, a Pushcart prize, and long listed for best American Short Stories 2015. Ursula, good afternoon. How are you?
1: Hi, I'm well. Thanks for having me.
0: It's great to have you. That that's the dream, right? Is to get into the best American short stories.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I just got long listed, so I can't say I'm oh, there yet, that but counts. um that counts. I I flip to the back whenever I see that copy yes. at the library.
0: Yes. <laughs> I stumbled the heck over that one. So it's the Cut Bank Big Fish Flash Fiction Slash Prose Poetry Contest. Can you say that five times fast?
1: I can't. I don't no, even same. know if I can say like
0: it once. I love the uh, the bookshelf back there. And, you know, a lot of what we talk about on the podcast is kind of what the really formative, transformative works that we read when we were kids into adolescence and, and beyond. I love to know, um, you know, growing up San Antonio, right?
1: Yeah, San Antonio.
0: Great San Antonio text. I'd love to know what you were reading. Was it monolingual? Was it all English? Was it Spanglish? Was it Spanish and English? And all, you know, kind of what you're reading and writing. And also, are you a Spurs fan? Oh,
1: I was a Spurs Spurs fan for years and years. And my family will disown me if I say I'm not a Spurs fan anymore.
0: Okay.
1: Um, I love Greg Popovich, and he's still. There. So okay. I love the Spurs in that regard, but I can't name all the Spurs right now. That would be <laughs> nah. a stretch for me. But I got um you.
0: fair enough, fair
1: enough. Sean Elliott for life. I often think about getting a Sean Elliott tattoo still. Mm-hmm. Um yes. yeah, Steve Kerr, just like a ton of Spurs people I was gonna make it like
0: I was gonna make it like a stupid binary. I was gonna say, like, you know, Tim Duncan or or like David Robinson, like why does it have to be either one? And I right. love the Sean Elliott. Sean, what a great I mean, Sean Elliott was a great one.
1: Yeah, I mean, Sean Elliott. Uh, I mean, growing up in San Antonio, I, I mean, I love books, but I can't believe I picked the Spurs. First. But anyway, growing <laughs> up in San Antonio, uh, Spurs culture is just so infused in everyday life. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a relative who uh, my husband Fernando says, like, does he own anything that doesn't say Spurs on it? And the answer is no. Everything <laughs> is Spurs, Spurs T shirts, wow. Spurs whatever. Um, And growing up, uh, everybody I knew was obsessed with the spurs. Mm -hmm. And um, even in my high school, we would learn about things and related to the spurs. (laughs) Like I, we were learning some types of shells and things in biology class. And the teacher said they're really small, like Sean Elliott's ears.
0: (laughs) Wow. That's a (laughs) good simile simile and math and word problems. Oh my gosh.
1: Yeah. So everything was Spurs all the time. So, um, I, I am still obsessed with sports and basketball and San Antonio things. Um, but I can't say that I'm, that I watch the Spurs anymore.
0: It happens. Right. I mean, the, I feel like there's the little, I know of San Antonio There's a lot of similarities to Sacramento where I'm from. Like there's not, I mean, there's not a lot going on as in, we're not a huge city. We don't have a million things like LA and, you know, right? So like, yeah, the Kings here are just, it's everything. I don't know that I ever had a math word problem based on the Kings, but I Yeah.
1: Yeah. So Spurs were huge. Um, I developed into a Spurs fan after I was a reader. So I I spent a lot of time on the West side of San Antonio with my grandmother and my great aunt and my grandfather. And um, to be honest, the first time that I really spent like encountered books or anything was at garage sales and like Mm -hmm. flea markets and things like that and so I can't say that I was a big reader until around second or third grade um it was just like whatever we found at the flea markets is like yeah we'll take this home and and figure it out Mm -hmm. and sometimes it was like a bust you know and sometimes it was great Mm -hmm. um and so my great aunt would buy like a copy of To Kill a Mockingbird, but I was too small to read it, so she would read it to me. Oh, wow. So um, books like that for, were my kind of introduction to stories. Mm-hmm. Um, but once I could read on my own, I really took off. Um, it was—I remember the like the moment it happened. I was—I mm-hmm. struggled a lot until the summer of fourth grade. not not the summer the Christmas break right before like we had to go back um and I read a Judy Bloom book called Just As Long As We're Together Mm -hmm. and everything opened up in my mind and I was in the book and after that I just wanted to read everything by Judy Bloom and then a bunch of Nancy Drews Mm -hmm. um and so that was kind of my real introduction like reading on my own
0: Mm
1: -hmm. um but then, you know, by the time I got to high school, I was like everyone, like really into Sylvia Plath.
0: Okay.
1: Um, and I really got into Muriel Spark, who I'm still obsessed with, um, the Scottish writer. Mm. And, you know, just kind of the staples, like very predictably Salinger. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I read a lot of, like I would walk into Barnes & Noble and just buy what was ever like on the contemporary table. so. Mm um i read susanna Kaysen and like whatever was kind of popular
0: yeah yeah is there any psychology to be had there did you feel like you kind of gravitated more towards like escape type of books and like you know or not not even like in a negative way like oh i can you know i can travel the world i can be in scotland i can be in you know australia or do you more like into realism or was kind of all the above
1: I really liked being transported mm-hmm. um, word, to, yeah. to different countries. And so I really wanted at some point to recreate the magic that was happening when I was reading. And so I started like the first stories I ever wrote were set like at boarding schools and these places that I considered really mm-hmm. exotic, even though to most people, they weren't exotic. They were just mm-hmm. kind of Ho hum, but to me, like what was a boarding school like? And yeah. what was it like to have velvet furniture and you know, all these things that for me were kind of like way beyond my everyday life. Mm-hmm. So I started writing things like that because um I just thought that was so mesmerizing. So it was a lot of transport, like transporting me out of my real life mm-hmm. things. Um yeah, that's what I just felt it was like, you know, like the Narnia in a way, just going sure. somewhere magical.
0: Sure. I'm actually good I'm actually kind of saying sure, sure and nodding. I actually don't know a lot about Narnia, I'm embarrassed to say, but I kinda I know the basics. You know, yeah. if you if you can ask me any more deeper questions about Narnia, I'm gonna I'm gonna be stumped. But um <laughs> well yeah, I I think growing up reading, you know, Tobias Wolf is one of the main reasons that I do this mm-hmm. podcast. The the title and everything is is, is is derived from that. But man, like so much about boarding schools. Like do people actually go to is that like a real thing? Is boarding you know what I mean? Like what are these I guess on the East Coast, maybe more than anywhere else?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I romanticize boarding school so much and I am still a sucker to this day for boarding school novels. (laughs) Um, I'll read any boarding school novel. Um, I just love them so much. And the first story I wrote, yeah, definitely took place at a boarding school Mm. and, uh, was kind of like elite private school. Like what will happen over like this holiday break?
0: Well, I guess I take that back. I guess isn't isn't Wednesday like the Wednesday Adams, like isn't that kind of a boarding school? Or is she like in the series and stuff? So I guess I guess boarding school fiction or boarding school stories are still alive and well, maybe. Right?
1: Yeah. I mean, and I think in a sense it's somewhat related to the campus novel.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, in a sense. And uh I'm also a sucker for campus novels and okay. maybe I wrote one, I don't know. <laughs> um so yeah, I think there's definitely a link between like being secluded and like mm-hmm. no one really overseeing what's going on, and sure. there's some shenanigans and stuff.
0: Shenanigans. There's there's some there's there was at least one leafy New England campus mentioned in not for the self crippling, right? Yeah. At least one. So there you go. Probably related to some real life events, which we'll talk about in a minute. I wonder just about you know in all the myriad ways that we are we we are made up of cultures, subcultures. I wonder if you felt represented in what you read if so, how so? If not, did that matter? Did you not necessarily look for that until later on? It wasn't something you were thinking about? How did representation work in what you read?
1: Yeah, well, to go back to one of your questions that I think I kind of skipped over, uh, I grew up in a household. Well, with my parents, we spoke uh, mostly English, but with my grandparents, and I spent a lot of time with them, they spoke to me in Spanish and I replied in English. So I was receptive to the language, not completely expressive in the language. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I heard that when you interviewed uh, the author of uh, was it Brotherless night I think she mm-hmm. used the, the that term too right. um yeah so I uh I was completely in my head Spanish made sense and everything like kind of filtered in through Spanish in many ways. Um, but at school, everything was in English, but I remember distinctly in third grade when someone would ask me something and I would say, well, let me tell you in Spanish. And I'm not sure how to say it in English.
0: <laughs> um,
1: and so there were times where my brain just like only knew the Spanish sure. or like could only retrieve it immediately in Spanish. And then I would kind of fumble around. Like I, yeah, like, I think like house rope, I didn't know what a house rope was. I was just like, it's a kimono. Um, and and people were like you wear kimonos like japanese kimonos in your house and i'm like no but like i didn't know you know what a house robe was um so i didn't really think about representation in books uh when i was first reading and in fact i felt like you know some of the judy bloom books were you know like oh i am worried too about like being in school and friends. So I did identify with that, but in terms of the cultural stuff, I didn't see myself. In fact, the first time, and I didn't see myself like at all, like, you know, culturally speaking. And then like, for the longest time, I thought like I was some kind of freak because I had a name that no one else had, Mm. um, first name and last name. And so the way that I kind of made carved a space for myself is I decided I was going to buy every book at the bookstore written by someone named Ursula. (laughs) So I went and bought Ursula K. Le Guin books. I went and bought Uh Ursula Hagee books. I bought like anytime something said Ursula on it, I bought it because I was just like, I need a connection to these books somehow. Uh And so that's um, kind of like how I started thinking, like, maybe I could be a writer because like, the word Ursula's on a book. Um, But then I guess uh, by the time I was in high school, um, my, no problem.
0: So, I mean, you probably lucked into some good stuff with Ursula Le Guin, right?
1: Oh, I have to be honest. I didn't read it for years. Okay, So I, I just held on to it. And that was just like, okay, it's here. And here's, you know, a book that yeah. one day I might read. It looks nice um,
0: on the bookshelf or whatever. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Um, it was totally totally a poser. Yeah. <laughs> uh but by the time I was in high school, my aunt was really um re- a really big Sandra C. Snettles fan. Uh-huh. And Sandra C. Snettles lived in San Antonio. I was and so say, I know
0: she's so she writes about Chicago, but I've she has family in San Antonio or she lived there for a she, while. Yeah, yeah. She
1: lived there for a while. And so she did readings. So I was able to go to um at least one or two of her readings yeah. when I was in high school and those really were beautiful readings and um they made a really big impact on me and she was mm-hmm. a really generous reader and writer and she dedicated books to me like uh, not yeah. like right you know <laughs> but um she signed them she was very
0: personable um yeah.
1: and it really made a difference in my life
0: mhm so you, i mean it wasn't just a person whose picture was on the on the back cover it was actually a person you met and was actually alive and right? Yeah, she, she was. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, she was alive. And I read her stuff. And I liked her stuff. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't just, you know, a book on the shelf. It was a real connection. Um, some of her work, I have to admit, was a little mature. I think my Wicked Wicked Ways came out, which is a poetry collection, kind of mm-hmm. like feminist kind of sexy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was very young. Uh, so I think that that was a little mature for me, but I still read it. I still liked it. Um, I'm sure that I would relate to it a lot more these days um but she was a really important figure in my life and um you know the fact that like you said she was alive I saw her that was that kind of made the profession of writing just a little more real for me yeah
0: yeah holy night or one holy night was one of her stories that I still remember that was like it I think it's from woman and creek and that was we read it in the class and it was like Wow. You can you can do this in a story, huh? It was just like Yeah. Like really understated and kind of like not like an henry ending, but just like a kind of a shock to the system in a great way. Thank you for that. I'd love to know about kind of the the writing side of things, how how the love of reading and you know, Ursula Le Guin to Cincinnati's and all, you know, Nancy Drew and all that, how that led to or maybe in high school to college, how you kind of said, like, I can do this writing thing or or you got some really good feedback from someone you respected or how, how you became a writer.
1: So I think uh, I just, like I said, wanted to emulate that kind of magical feeling that I got from books and I wanted to pass that along to other people. And I started by writing poetry in high school. And of course it was really bad for many, many years. Mm -hmm. Um, But I, but thankfully nobody discouraged me. Uh, my teachers were very kind Mm. and I kept at it and I found it very fun to um, I don't know to express myself in you know not just like oh this is a poem about the moon or or flowers Mm. Um, but to really grapple with things like you know self-acceptance and um, I was vegetarian at the time I really wanted to write about that it seemed important to me and so kind of like you know heavier topics I guess um, for a teenager so I found poetry to be a really good vehicle for my thoughts mm. and it really fostered my love of language um, I had some supportive I guess teachers who were like you should enter a poetry contest um, and I started doing that and I started having some of my poems published locally in San Antonio um, I guess starting maybe like sophomore year or so mm. and then Junior year, I had more poems published. And then by senior year, my mother encouraged me to enter this uh poetry contest that she's found in the San Antonio Express News. Hmm. And I naively thought, oh, it's just a bunch of kids like in high school in San Antonio doing poetry stuff. I should just send some poems in. So I did. And then I got a like a letter in the mail saying, um, from Kale Loren, which is the PBS station in San Antonio.
0: Whoa.
1: And they were like, we like your poems. We invite you to come read them this day. And I thought, oh, it's like not not an anthology. It's not like, you know, something. So then I found out this was like adults from like all over the country were coming to read their poetry and they had selected me and I was the youngest person. And I thought, this is wild. I need Xanax. <laughs> ah. and, uh, and yeah, so it, it kind of started that way. I was like- reading my poetry in front of a television audience. Wow. Um, yeah. So that happened by the time I was a senior in a high school. So um, that was a really big confidence boost to know uh, like somebody thought there was some merit in, in this writing. Somebody thought this was kind of interesting and I got, you know, lumped together with like real writers, like people from all over. So um, I thought, yeah, I'm definitely going to pursue this.
0: So when you said you did it on the 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 PVS station, was it live? Was it recorded like live, like on the air right now?
1: No, I think they added like I think there were God. like they built in commercial breaks or whatever, because it was just like, you know, spooling in an auditorium or whatever.
0: Like, oh. sorry, but what a what an experience, right? I mean, I always feel like, you know, like as a, as a coach in sports, you know, hey, play against players who are better than you play against people who are older than you like what an experience for you to be there with like the, the adults Are we talking like oh yeah and grandpas maybe?
1: i mean so like i didn't know who everyone was obviously and there was no internet then i'm uh, so no, old no, that no, no, like no. i couldn't google these people to figure out who they were it was just like when the person who won what like won the night or whatever right yeah. like um i found out he was like a 25 year old like adjunct professor in chicago and i was like oh. what so insane um but yeah i mean it was a really affirming experience i mean totally nerve-wracking totally like i was out of my league like i didn't know how to perform poetry i just knew how to write it in my room and like send it to newspapers and stuff i was not by any means like professional or even you know i didn't have those aspirations to be on tv reading my poetry but it happened Mm -hmm. um and i'm grateful for it
0: that's so cool did you did you have trouble fitting your head through the doorway afterwards? I mean, were you a little <laughs> bit a little bit overconfident? Nah, no. what You said affirming, yeah.
1: Yeah, it was affirming. Like there was no way that I thought, you know, that I killed it and like was the best yeah. person there by any means. It was also very humbling because, you know, I saw what it was like when real professionals had prepared mm. and you know delivered a really incredible performance it's really different from someone standing there reading their poetry and someone kind of like bringing it to life
0: yeah the whole idea of like you're going to probably run faster if you're running with somebody or against somebody than you would on your own right like step your yeah. game up yeah So you were talking about like starting with poetry, really, which I think so many of us have or did. I was just at my daughter's conference and she's in second grade and they're writing. She had, she shared a poem with me. I'm like, oh, awesome. You know, they're learning about onomatopoeia and alliteration, all this cool stuff. Amazing. Um, I know, right? Yeah. But, so like, I kind of wonder how you, for, for Math for the Self Crippling, which is labeled as stories, mm-hmm. but I saw it like that in an interview you did, you you called it like a, like flash fiction, fa- flash fiction slash prose poetry. Mm-hmm. And it does kind of straddle those lines, right? So, you know, you're writing before this, like you know, you got in the 2015 um, long list for the, you know, the the best American short stories. Like, have you been kind of going back and forth with poetry and fiction? Do you have some work to fiction, you know, like literary fiction or whatever someone would call it, or do you feel like you're kind of in those in betweens?
1: I think naturally, I am a long form writer. Mm -hmm. Um, it's how I, I mean, other than starting with poetry, when I was younger, once I transitioned in college to writing fiction, um, I became obsessed with like short stories and, you know, and I've always wanted to read novels and memoirs and whatnot. And so I've been obsessed with lengthy things. And when I went to graduate school, I thought, okay, I have to write lengthy things. Um, and so, uh, a lot of my writing is, you know, short stories that are 12 pages to Mm -hmm. 25 pages um but I I never really spent that much time with poetry afterwards to be completely honest not after high school um I wrote a couple poems in my 20s uh to like people I was crushing on and then I would hand them to them or email them to them Mm -hmm. but it wasn't something that I actively pursued anymore but I think that the love of language and kind of that obsession with you know individual words and the arrangement of them is something that um never really left me and so Mm -hmm. when I decided to write flash fiction it it did start to feel a little bit like poetry but obviously the line breaks are different and you know it's prose Mm -hmm. but uh that attention to detail and you know really being obsessed with the sound and kind of the the metric of it um just like kind of kicked back up into a higher gear
0: yeah. I don't listen to a lot of it, but like, I don't know if you ever heard like the moth, the moth radio hour. Like, I've heard right? it. Yeah. A couple of times. Right? I feel like these would be, you know, that's the thing about this, this collection is so cool is that like, it, there could, there's a lot of them. It's not all of them that are standalone, but there's definitely the through lines and it really goes together so well from basically, you know, young girl to, to an adult. It does go chronolo- chronologically for the most part. So it works the parts, but the parts are definitely, what is it? The whole is worth more than the parts kind of thing. I appreciate that. What what were some of those maybe stories that um, really inspired you, challenged you, captivated you? You know, talking about the short stories that you've read through the years or even the It's a good
1: question. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. I think, uh, I mean, there's some short stories that I read that I will never forget because i had never read anything like them, like Bartholomew, The School I read that and thought, like, wow, that is insane. Like, how does somebody do that? Um, But it wasn't necessarily a style I thought I wanted to imitate. Um, I read Tobias Wolf, obviously. Um, And then when I was in graduate school, um, well, you know, when I was in high school, let's back up. When I was in high school, I really liked Amy Bloom. Mm. and um she's now kind of more of a, a novelist but at the time she had a book I think it was called come to me or something like that there was a couch on the cover and that was a really important book in my life and then when I went to college of course I got obsessed with Jesus's son mm. um and I read a lot of best American short story collections um so there were quite a few stories. Uh, Jeffrey Eugenides' Airmail for a long right. time was my favorite short story. Um, and then, of course, I read Sandra Cisneros. Um, and she has a short story. I don't know. I don't remember the title of it anymore. But it's basically like the the narrator and her lover sitting in a car in front of a banateria just eating bread. Mm. I don't know if you remember this one. But anyway, no, no, no. that one, like, I still think about that one all the time. Because the whole story was just like how much... They are, you know, just eating, but there's so much pleasure just from the act of eating and being together in this Mm -hmm. little space, Mm -hmm. like while looking at this bakery. Um, So that was a really important story in my life. Um, And then later, like Roberto Bolaño became really important. And I love his stories. Um, Last Evenings on Earth is one of my favorite short story collections. Um, So there've been quite a few, but I have to say like, the ability to impact me through a short story doesn't necessarily translate into something that I then write or imitate. Yeah. Um, it's just like, oh, wow, I wish I could do that. And sometimes I'll attempt something similar and, and other times I'll just let it be and be fascinated and mm-hmm. remain the fan.
0: Mm hmm. I appreciate that. So Math for the Self-Crippling is, you know, what, 52, 54 pages. They're vignettes. Is that safe to say? They're stories?
1: Sure. They're stories. They're about? vignettes. It's a, I guess, novel and Flash or something. No,
0: yeah. Okay. <laughs> Where does it sit in the, like, in the bookstore?
1: Oh, I don't think it's at bookstores. I mean, not a lot of them. Um, it sits, actually, it's at McNally Jackson in New York right now. And I think it nice. sits in the um, chapbook section and then i think at powell's it sits in like the independent book section like the small press books um so it so it is
0: in a couple bookstores but um
1: yeah i think it depends on the bookstore to where Mm -hmm. they want to place
0: it in one of the interviews you were you were saying correct me if i'm wrong here more or less that like so many people assume this book to be autobiographical and more so because you're a woman, right? This idea that the that for whatever reason, women's work is often more assumed, more times often assumed to be autobiographical. Does that seem to be true? Am I saying that correctly?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think that there's this idea that women are just sitting and writing their stories like verbatim and that there's less of, maybe like a little less craft going on uh-huh. in terms of uh, the fictionalizing aspects.
0: The, there's a progression in the story. You know, there's some, you know, a little bit of back and forth or flashback, if you will. But, you know, it's mainly pretty much um, a through line as far as chronologically. Did, I don't know. I mean, did you write the, 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 the book chronologically yourself? Did you, was it kind of like plot first or themes first? Or was it just like piece by piece, you know, paso a paso, step by step? It was definitely Baswa Basel. Mm -hmm. And
1: I just gave myself little writing prompts and assignments. It was definitely not written in chronological order. Mm -hmm. Um, it was definitely just like kind of these little experiments that I wanted to do. Um, I had just graduated from, uh, getting my MFA Mm -hmm. and I had, uh, two part-time jobs and I was in my, uh, uh, partner was getting a PhD, and I often spent a lot of time at the library of his school waiting for him to get out of class. Mm. And so I had these little bursts of, of like you know, thirty minutes, forty minutes. And so I would give myself a writing prompt, and just kind of sit there and see what came. And sometimes it was really fruitful, and other times like mm, it was okay. Um, but I really felt like I had nothing to lose because I didn't consider myself a flash writer. I consider myself long form. So it was really just kind of an amusement for myself mm. that then became really meaningful. And I, I started to polish them and I started to submit them. And then individually they started getting published. And then I thought, oh, you know, maybe there's like a through line here. Maybe they're in conversation with each other and I can do mm. something. And maybe there's a manuscript here. So it wasn't until, you know, a couple of years later, maybe three or four, yeah. that I started to um, arrange them this way.
0: The first story is called Envelope First, 1953. Some beautiful imagery. There's some great uh, phrasing. Hologram of boredom is one that stood out to me. But it's basically like a ring of adults is holding hands. There's candles lit. There's levitations. Um, but the mother... You know, I, I think it's the envelope. I think that's the, where the title comes from. Doesn't the envelope like levitate? Mm-hmm. Swish according off a table this, mm-hmm. according to the story. The mom of this story, the mom of the narrator, she refutes those levitations. She's like, nah, you know, this I don't think so. It seems to me like there's so much in this collection about what's the line? There was another line I written it down somewhere, I forget, but just this idea that not every story that's told as nonfiction is nonfiction. Kind of about, I guess, about who's telling the story and about elaboration and exaggeration. I wonder how that that kind of fits into the collection.
1: Um, that's a great question. About um, truth, I guess. Truth, yeah. I don't know. So th- it's an interesting question, especially because a lot of people think that you know these stories are autobiographical, and it's like, well, I don't know how many letters have been floating yeah. around your house, but, um, yeah. but I think there's, I think there's something beautiful about the imagination and something beautiful about. I don't know. Maybe there's some truth and stories that are unbelievable. I was talking about this with my best friend the other day, because we just finished reading Oscar. Oh, calling for a blanket dance.
0: Oh, the Native yeah, America... yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Have you read that one? I have. I had Oscar on.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. So good. Okay.
0: So good. Okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So um, we were talking about, you know, there's, I don't want to spoil the book, but there's a part where there's some ritual happening because one of the women is pregnant and there seems to be a, something going on and, So she goes to kind of a, like a shaman type person Mm -hmm. and there's something that happens and that person starts choking on feathers while treating her and whatever. And, you know, I'm a, you know I can be a very scientific minded person but I totally believe someone can be choking on feathers too. Um, And so I kind of wanted that uh, world to exist in this book where, Mm. uh, where things can be true, but unreal. If that makes yeah, any sense, sure. or unreal to some people, but real to others.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That make that does make a lot of sense. That there's a scene if you remember. I think I think towards the end of the of Oscar's book, where they're they're like at the high school or something like that, and they're like they're all sitting in their chairs and waiting for maybe the party to start. Mm-hmm. And it's just like so much community. Was, that's such a great. I love that part of the book. Oh, yeah, remember the like community's just coming together and it's yeah, like,
1: yeah, yeah. I oh, think they're yeah. waiting for that forever house raffle or something like the that raffle yeah
0: maybe it was yeah yeah yeah
1: yeah, yeah. i so love that good. i mean th- there's so many so many gems in that book
0: yeah i i did not do it justice my explanation right on with it there there was you know i think whether it was literally gang members or not, i think so many of us can uh kind of understand the couple stories on the the narrators talking about you know like at, at the all girls catholic school but it's like kind of playing up like oh my god like we're such gang members we're such cholas right that kind of thing <laughs> You know, everyone always kind of trying to sound a little cooler, a little bit more dangerous, right? It's such a teenage thing. There's a lot there, I guess, about who you present to the world. Um, it seems that the narrator is somebody really trying to escape the, kind of get out of our own shell, get out of our own way as well, right?
1: Yeah, I think a lot of self-discovery for young people is trying on different um, personas and, and mm. seeing which ones feel true. And sometimes we kind of overshoot and yep. thinking, you know, we're like, you know, I'm really a skateboarder. And it's like, actually, no, I I can't even balance on this thing mm-hmm. or, you know, with what what whatever it be like, you know, a lot of makeup. And then you realize like, oh, God, I feel like a clown. This is really mm-hmm. not who I am. Um, so I think that uh, in that story in particular, the narrator was trying on uh, a persona to feel cool, to feel accepted. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes these things are near misses and sometimes, you know, they really land
0: whether that whether that one's based on you or not i'm a i'm a fellow graduate of an of an single sex uh catholic school so, oh yeah cool. even just the title is the image is just fastened in my brain what's the word not fastened emblazoned in my brain is the sophia loren glasses
1: yeah
0: right? mental health
1: yeah mental health is right? a big theme in the book
0: yeah I, I i remember my dad when i was young saying like we were watching some movie and he's just like Sophia Loren came on. It's like, she was the most beautiful woman in the world. I was yeah. like, Sophia Loren, you know, the Italian Emmy was like, yes, 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 she <laughs> right? But uh, but just those glasses, I mean, that's so that's such a great image because I think so many of us, you know, we're we're young people. Maybe the younger people than us wouldn't get it, but I think so many of us do. Um, so that really kind of pulls the reader in. But there's, you know, there's so memorable where the girl is asking, the narrator is asking her mom, and she's basically like, Hey, how how would I know if I slipped into insanity? Like, how would I know? It's all, you know, if it's a subjective thing, the mom was kind of like, oh, no, you would know. Right. And I think the, I think the girl wants like to quantify it. Right. Like, yeah. yeah. Is that kind of do you think is the mom kind of like humoring her and just like or is she just kind of like, ah, you know, kids will be kids. Is she trying to kind of talk her down a little bit, you know, trying to calm her down with kind of, yeah. I kind of wonder what is in the mom's answer?
1: I think the mom uh, there's multiple things going on. I think the mom is trying to just downplay this and have a normal afternoon sure. and and the daughter's bringing up some really heavy topics sure. and the mom is driving. So she doesn't want to be distracted. She doesn't want to, you know, get into this really weighty conversation. That's one thing. And the other thing I was trying to get at um, is uh, in general, Latinos avoid talking about mental health. Mm. Um, and it's kind of, you know, I, in some families taboo, I guess, and other families just like, there's this attitude like, oh, it's not a big deal. Like you'll feel fine tomorrow. Um, just like, you know, you know, everything's fine. You're just mm-hmm. blowing this out of proportion. And I think the mother's also doing some of that, which is um, probably a disservice to her daughter. Um, but, you know, maybe she didn't have the language herself to to talk about this
0: mm-hmm.
1: in a way that would be satisfying for mm-hmm. either one of them.
0: As a non-native speaker, but I wonder if the expression "no pasa nada" might fit there. Yeah, right. Totally. Not a big deal, right? Yeah. As the narrator goes on with the, I mean, I think is that is that a lot of where the title comes from? This idea of the self-crippling part of it is it is it just this idea? Because I mean, so many of us can relate to that. Just like getting in your head so much that you 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 kind of like the you're the one who trips yourself up. Is that kind of yeah right? yeah. Yeah,
1: and and like ruminating over right, memories ruminating, that yeah. that are maybe you know they happened, yeah, but like, is it the most important memory you need, or do you need to think about this memory all the time? Probably mm-hmm. not. Sure. Um, but I think that especially when people are going through some sort of like mental health issue uh there's this sense of doom that happens i know personally i've dealt a lot with anxiety where Mm -hmm. i get this sense like i always feel like this which isn't true you know Mm -hmm. there's plenty of times where i'm not anxious um but i think it's really common when people are struggling to feel like this is a permanent thing this is always like how i think this is always Mm -hmm. what i feel this is going to last you know be with me forever and um and i think the title kind of is a hat tilt to that kind of feeling that that there's like a cycle happening that someone you know the narrator trapped in to an extent
0: sure and to a different level when you're a teenager right you 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 really do feel like this is this is it this yeah. is the end of, this is the end of the world this, nobody has ever felt this way mm-hmm. right? like you said i'm, I'm always going to feel this way i'm not going to yeah there's, there's there's an extra level to. i remember there's a great line from like from the outsiders where do you remember the outsiders
1: I never read it, but oh, wow. I know of it the way that you
0: seem to yeah. know of some- yeah. <laughs> Narnia. Sure. Right. <laughs> Good call. Yeah. Cherry Valance is, she's like the rich girl, but she's just kind of like, um, you know, the parents are always trying to talk down this other character. Like, oh, it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. And it's like, no, in at this time in that person's life, it's important. And that's all that matters, you know? Yeah, at, absolutely. At this, time in this person's life. Yeah.
1: I remember, Being in eighth grade and at eighth grade graduation, one of my friends who I had known for years was going to go to a different high school the following year. And I still remember sitting in the car with my mom crying about, and we were parked at a old bakery because my mom was going to go in and buy sandwich bread for us. Still remember crying that, you know, I'm never going to get over the fact that my friend's going to a different high school. And my mom was like, sure you are like, you're never right. going to even remember this. Right. Like by the time you go to college, like this will be the, and I still remember it to this day, <laughs> like <laughs> it felt like the end of the world.
0: Ah, That's a great, yeah. So you probably got a story in you about sitting at the bakery, right? It's like Saunders Cisneros there.
1: Yeah. Just like, just yeah. a little sad and yeah. of, you know, another sad girl story.
0: Right. The sad <laughs> girl comes through. That girl escapes. It's not, not, I mean, she, she talks about it as escaping, right. She goes to, you know, new England, goes to college carefree, like everyone's supposed to be in college and they're, you know, what do you call skinny skating, skinny dipping slash skating or, you know, something like that. Right. Yeah. And she meets this guy. I, I mean, I assume there's romantic designs in, in that case. And he seems to be cool until he mentions, he says some of the effect of, you know, Oh, and, and you write about it. So, well, you, you write about how nonchalant he is. In saying something like, um, you know, oh, my housekeeper's from the same country where your family's from. Yeah. That, like, am I getting the line right? More or less.
1: Yeah, you got it right. Yeah, you nailed it. Yeah. Just kind of this uh casual connection between the like the housekeeper, the maid, and yeah. the narrator of the story. And it's just devastating to her because here she thought she was gonna have this, you know, romantic encounter, mm. and suddenly she's has the wind knocked out of her basically
0: you think it's it's such so devastating just in the one-on-one with with this guy or is it more kind of a bigger thing about maybe her place at the school i don't know
1: yeah i think definitely her place in the school i mean because of uh, for other reasons like you know this was she had been romanticizing going to new england from Mm -hmm. texas for so long that she had this ideal in her head and then when she actually gets there instead of it being, you know, the perfect place, like she immediately gets knocked down a peg or several. Mm. Um, and so I think that the devastation was just, uh, I guess, more powerful or hit yeah. differently because of that.
0: Right. The narrator takes on, you know, goes to therapy in different ways. Um, later on in the book, she's asked about her first memory of despair and that was so telling or so relatable. I think, you know, she was kind of like, where to begin? you know um but she goes like to sand therapy mm-hmm. and it's it's such like a kind of like an involved process and there's little dolls or little toys and this and that and basically the narrative is just like this is kind of all for naught yeah okay. what do you what was she maybe trying to get in therapy or do you, you get the impression maybe that she was kind of like just kind of did it because she thought she was supposed to or she was pushed to it or kind of you know nudged that way
1: you know i think that these days there's kind of like you know there's so many memes and jokes like guys will do anything you know like but go to therapy and like you know you know it's it's a running joke that like everybody needs therapy and i'm not saying people don't need therapy absolutely right um but i think um you know something that's maybe a little bit controversial to say is that we kind of assume like it's a one-size-fits-all and just like students, you know, I'm an educator, but students are different learners. There's some Mm -hmm. students that have to read things to absorb it. There's some students who have to like write things out. Others have to, you know, hear things or do some kind of kinesthetic learning.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, You know, there's, I think therapy should be different too. You know, like I, if, if we know that that's the type of, you know, spectrum of people that we have who are Mm -hmm. you know learning then also for healing i think there needs to be a a whole spectrum and some of the things that you know people try don't really work and i think um i'll be the first to say you know sometimes things don't work but you got to try them
0: yeah fair enough there's a really intriguing like uh like juxtaposition that you set up where the the narrator has i think one of the stories is called tabloid totems Which is so such a great title in many ways, the alliteration and such. But just this idea of totems and I it's you know, it sounds like she she dated a a model, and this model reminds her of another famous model who gets, you know, is on the billboards and the magazines and the whole deal. And then eventually that that model was, I guess, like scratched, stabbed? Attacked. Yeah. He got attacked. Yeah, yeah. Right? disfigured is the word I was looking for um, by some sort of deranged fan. Is the totem this idea of kind of like, looking up to this kind of maybe, um, idealizing or, or something yeah. that happened in the past, like, you know, Oh, Oh, he was so great. And we were so good together. or We, we missed out. Or I kind of wonder the idea of the totem. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, especially, um, for, I think early relationships or people, uh, in their twenties and things, you know, mm-hmm. the the goal is like get like you know the hottest person you can date, like that, you know, isn't get that someone... it?
0: isn't that life? <laughs> mean, what else is there, right?
1: <laughs> you know, I I mean, I lived in New York City in my twenties, and so like I was totally consumed with, uh, you know, superficial things like mm-hmm. getting all the manicures and like, uh, you know, just like dating hot people and mm-hmm. you know being seen and taking photos and like you mm-hmm. know, uh. And I think that the, that title is, well, I know that title is definitely um, acknowledging that, you know, there's this mm. totem of attractiveness. There's a totem of like what we aspire to be connected to. So even if we are no longer, um, you know, dating someone, like just there's kind of this, um, I guess, currency or some sort of leverage to be like, oh yeah, he's my ex or whatever. Mm. Um, and so it's that kind of, uh, wanting that proximity to oh, yeah.
0: fame. Sure. Did were you ever on TMZ? Never. No. Okay.
1: No.
0: You still can be. You still can.
1: Be. <laughs> Hopefully not. That's not oh, a good yeah, place to no, be. Yeah, it's
0: probably true. It's probably true, yeah. Mostly like 99% negative things, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean I, yeah, I haven't read anything positive there.
0: <laughs> it was used that you know, in a different way in a, in a story later on, but I feel like what you're just talking about goes to a quote that I really thought was again so apropos is quote, her religion is the power of suggestion. And that was that was about the piece where the narrator reads about a woman who I think stabbed her kids to death even. You know, and, and after that, it was like the knife, you know, seeing the knife, she couldn't hold a knife, just that power of suggestion, right? Where she, she couldn't get that out of her mind. You talked about ruminating before, but even just yeah. the the idea that, you know, oh yeah, everyone's supposed to date the hottest people, you know, blah, blah, blah. her religion is the power of suggestion, right?
1: Yeah. Well, first, I just want to point out my cat is right there. Ah. Um, <laughs> my cat's impatient. Like, hey, pay attention to me. You've been oh, talking chill to in this. the
0: corner. There you. Uh, yeah, I'm...
1: really interested in going to the bedroom, but that's not going to happen right now, Selena. <laughs> so the story that you're referencing is actually I took you know I read where writers do this, and I had never done this, but I took I read the news, and there was this nanny in New York City who uh, had been working for our family for many years, and kind of snapped and. Um, and murdered uh, all but one of the children that she was um, taking care of. So that story was inspired by real life events. Mm. Um, But yeah, I think, uh, so I'm someone who's really obsessed with delusion of all kind. And so Mm -hmm. um, I'm always... Reading about delusion. I'm always really interested in things like, you know, the power of words, the power of suggestion. Uh-huh. Um, and so that was a really um fun, not I mean, this story matter yeah, is, yeah, yeah. is, is is serious, but it was fun to explore that topic um at a remove. Sure. Uh, for me personally. So sure. it was, yeah, that's my little homage mm. to to the creepy.
0: Mm. Like all of us, you know, the, any despair, any traumas, any, you know, grief, I mean, obviously it doesn't, it ha- doesn't go away and, you know, into adulthood, it'll follow us. And the, the narrator talks about the honeymoon and kind of mm-hmm. some of the traumas following her into uh, the marriage and, and particularly the honeymoon, like in Croatia, uh, they go and they visit kind of like a little, I don't know, like knickknack type of store. right? Mm-hmm. And the quote is, the mall overall is described as quote a mall that was bleak and ill conceived like us some of that effect, <laughs> um, which is you know kind of funny and and clever and and all of the above. There's not a lot about the the marriage necessarily. It is mostly about the the youth, the young days, and the teenage days and all that. But I just wonder about kind of like the through line between that 14 year old girl who said, "If I go insane, am I going to know?" To the girl who felt <laughs> despair. I, I, I failed to mention yeah. you know, that she really took um, her, I think it was her aunt or her great aunt's death. She took that really hard. There's obviously a really close connection there. Kind of wonder how you can kind of chart like what happened earlier in life and maybe the way that it, it played out with with the marriage and in the early days of the marriage, just the early days.
1: Yeah, I think that, um, I mean, here is someone who is keenly aware of her mental health Mm-hmm. Um mental states that uh, the story in which she thinks she's going to go insane. It it opens with her saying like her consciousness uh expanded, like you know, I think it was like a thousand room hotel or something. Like she remembers the moment in which, like, suddenly she was inhabiting a larger space,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, at least consciously. Um, and so when you when she made that shift into, you know, living in this ultra aware world mm-hmm. um i think that she's just made herself you know people who who are that aware are obviously going to be um live life with a lot of uh joy and suffering just because there's such a wide range of of what can happen when you're uh acutely aware of you know what you're feeling or when you're super observant and can mm-hmm. see you know like this person is you know with the story um in college like this this guy just said like the absolute most devastating thing to me. Um, And it's like, you know, totally disrespectful to me at this point. And so I think that, um, you know, we get to see the development Um, And then, you know, there's definitely stories in which the marriage is very rocky and and not headed in a good place. And then there's, you know, stories in which she kind of makes a comeback. She kind of like has some snappy responses to Mm -hmm. some of the things that get thrown her way. Um, So she's definitely maturing. She's finding her own way. Um, She has her own agency about things. Um, And, you know, there's even like maybe an optimistic, you know, the story with the the husband's glasses and stuff Mm -hmm. where, you know, it's not all. Um, Debbie Downer stuff there's no not at some all. moments of joy too so I think by the time we get to the end of the book uh, she becomes a lot more well-rounded and mm-hmm. uh, I guess her emotional landscape becomes more uh, varied and she also kind of finds her own way
0: yeah no definitely there there is it's, it's not all Debbie Downer for sure the there's at least one story and you talk about like awareness you were talking a lot about awareness awareness and I think people like us I think people like the narrator, I mean, you know, who are who do ruminate a lot. I mean, so many of us are, you know, thinkers and just go churns and churns and churns. Often we often see ourselves as like observers of things that we're actually taking part in. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so definitely. that was so cool. With, with, that was so cool with that switch to third person, at least one of those stories where it's kind of like looking out or, you know, looking in, if you will, at, um, you know, in, in a third person point of view, more objective, I guess. And then the last piece, the Advocates of self-improvement, I think the mm-hmm. Advocates of, I love that piece. It's second person and it's you, and you talk about snappy. The last two, three sentences are real short and choppy, but you talk about the agency. And it's really cool to see just that, um, where she goes from to almost like giving advice at the end, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's
0: not agency, what is, right?
1: Yeah, she's come full circle. Whereas mm-hmm. before she was a little lost and kind of, it took her a minute, you know, to respond to people, or she would move herself from situations that were overwhelming. By the end, she's like, "Hey, I've got this down. Like, let yeah. me tell you, this is what you need to do."
0: Hmm. Thank you for, like I said, for providing what you know could be a read uh, for a class. We, you know, the whole the whole um, collection. You know, individual pieces. I really want to go through and kind of pick out which ones. I feel like I could definitely teach them in my in my classes. So much richness there. That's the cool thing about having so many different stories that in a 54-page piece is like I could use 10 of them, 15 of them. I feel like my students would be really receptive to it. Congrats on it. There's a reason why you won the Gold Line Award. I'd love to know what uh, maybe if you're working on anything uh, anything at the, in these days, any new projects. Yeah.
1: Well, thank you. And if you do teach me, let me know. I'll be oh, happy I, will. To zo- I will Zoom with your class if they have questions. Okay. I would be happy to talk okay. Flash if they want.
0: And I would keep it a total surprise. I'd be like, Do you have any questions about the book? Here she is. You yeah. <laughs> know,
1: that would be awesome. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, yeah. And hopefully my cat will join us too next time. Ah, please, We're- please. Okay. That's a must. Um, so I so I have a, a novel coming out in 2024. Right, right.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, like I said, maybe it's a campus novel. It's a lot of things. It's an epistolary novel. So oh, yeah, it
0: epistolary.
1: is yeah, it is a letter. I mean, yeah, to hmm. uh to someone. And uh, it's also got a UK publisher, which is exciting. Congratulations. So was, somebody might read it um, on the other side of the pond. Yeah. Um, and so that is going to come out in March of 2024. Mm-hmm. And I am working now on a memoir. Um, and th- that is slow going, um, <laughs> but, but it's fun. Uh, every day I chip away at it. Um, so that's that's kind of what's in the pipeline right now
0: does does the memoir go from like birth to now or is it maybe like a certain part of your life or so I'm not sure
1: oh no 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 so like I think every memoir really has to have like one or two subjects right like Roxane yeah. Gay's hunger is about you know uh, her physical body her relationship to her you know physicality her appetite mm-hmm. um, and you know the experiences of her body um and so the um memoir is focused on uh the fact the experience my father had being drafted into the vietnam war mm. and his exposure to agent orange oh. Oh, and no. uh that kind of impacted my family his health my health um so that's kind of the the triangle of it uh, is the family agent orange and you know the mm. the draft experience oh, um so it's kind of heavy stuff. I think I, mm. I um gravitate to some of the meatier topics. Sure. Uh but uh definitely uh trying to make it a read for everyone.
0: I appreciate that. Where where can we find you online? Any uh, special places to buy math for the self-crippling?
1: Sure. So uh, I have a website. Uh, it's my name or You can visit me there. Um, I am also on threads. Ah. Um, I'm no longer on that website that used to be Twitter. Smart.
0: smart. Good for you. Good for you. Um,
1: And I, uh, you know, you can buy Math for the Self-Crippling at an indie bookstore. Like I said, it's, you can order it online from Mm bookshop.org or if you want to give, you know, some business, like I said, to Powell's or McNally Jackson, feel free to do that. Um, Yeah.
0: Awesome. Thanks so much for talking to me. I look forward to the 2024 release and maybe that, you know, the memoir as well. Been awesome talking. Please say hello to your cat for me as well.
1: Oh, she says hi too.
0: Thanks so much for your time. Appreciate it. Thank you. What a pleasure it has been to speak today to Ursula Villarreal Mora. Thank you so much to her for her time and her generosity of spirit. I'm so looking forward to continue to follow her career and her important work. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Chills at Will podcast. You can now subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Please leave a five-star review. You can also ask for the podcast by name using Alexa and find it on Stitcher, Spotify, and on Amazon Music. Follow me on Instagram where I'm at Chills at Will podcast or on Twitter where I'm at Chills at Will P-O-1. Sign up now for the Chills at Will podcast Patreon. It can be found at patreon.com backslash chills at will podcast peter real check out the page that describes the benefits of a patreon membership including cool swag and bonus episodes thanks in advance for supporting my one-man show my diy podcast and my extensive reading research editing and promoting to keep this independent podcast pumping out high quality content this is a passion project of mine a diy operation it is just me And i love for your help in promoting what I'm convinced is a unique and spirited look at an often ignored art form. Can you pass on the podcast to someone? Can you send an email, send a text? I appreciate it. The intro song for the Chills of Will podcast is Wind Down Instrumental. And the other song played on the episode was Hoops Instrumental by Matt Whitehour. And both songs are used through archesaudio.com. Please tune in for episode 208 with Somia Krishnamurthy a music journalist and pop culture expert whose work can be found in publications like Rolling Stone, Billboard, XXL, and Time. Fashion Killer: How Hip Hop Revolutionized High Fashion, comes out on October 10th, which is the date the episode will be published. Also, look out for a late October or early November print conversation with me and Somia that will be in Chicago Review of Books. Again, this episode will air on October 10th. For now, thanks again for listening. I hope that these uncertain days bring you texts by writers with mad skills like Ursula Villarreal Mora, whose work, like math for the self-crippling, gives you chills at will.